Our speaker this morning is Dr. Mitch Glazer. Uh, Mitch is a Grace missionary since the 1980s and was born in a New York Jewish home and trusted in Jesus as his Messiah in 1970. He now serves as the president of Chosen People Ministries, one of the oldest and largest messianic missions in the United States. Shalom, y'all. Well, whatever I do, I'm not going to talk about the Aggie game I went to yesterday. No way. No, it was great. It was great. It was great. We won, you know. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed the, uh, the videos, and uh, I pray that uh, you know, you'll be encouraged to share the gospel with uh, Jewish people. You can see, obviously, Jewish people are coming to faith, and so it's, it's, it's exciting. So I'm Mitch Glazer, and I've been a Grace Bible Church missionary uh, for many, many years. Uh, in fact, my first time speaking here was in 1975, and uh, how many of you remember that? Okay, you just dated yourself, Harry, you know. So. <laughs> and uh, you have uh, been a wonderful church to us. You have prayed for and supported me in my, my whole career, really. And, uh, and all the way through raising our children and putting our children through. Some of you, college, you, you didn't pray hard enough. There was a little debt, but, you know. Uh, but God has really uh, knitted our hearts together, and I'm so delighted to be part of the Grace family. And so I praise God uh, for you. And Zahava and the girls send their love. And, so, and they want all of you to come visit us in New York. And uh, we'll let you ride the subways. A lot of fun there. Um, take cabs and at the risk of your life. You know, there's a lot of things to do uh, in New York. Uh, this morning, I'd like to pick up my own story uh, a little bit. After uh, I accepted the Lord, I then uh, really uh, grew in my faith. And, uh, you know, when I was about four or five months in the Lord, I, I really knew what I was doing. And so uh, I uh, enrolled in Bible college. They never should have let me in. <clears throat> and I went back to the East Coast uh, to sh- go to Bible college and to share the good news with, with my mom and with my dad. And, uh, of course, uh, before I went there, even though I was raised in such a, a, a really a wonderful, more traditional Jewish home, I had become a very bad Jewish boy, very dumb Jewish boy, and then Jesus saved me, transformed my life, and I went back home to... Uh, announced the good news uh, to my folks, and uh, we sat down, and uh, I had been trained in the Jesus movement, and again, I was, I was an evangelist. Uh, I was well-trained at four or five months old in the Lord, and, and I used everything I knew, and I looked at my mom and looked at my dad, and uh, we had this awkward conversation about what I was going to do, and I was coming home, and I, I just really knew it was the right time to tell them the truth, and I just said, Mom, Dad, you're both going to hell. Is that wrong? But, but Jesus can save you, and by the way, he's coming back any moment. And uh, so my mom began yelling at my father, and she said, you didn't raise him religious enough. My father yelled at my mother and said, you raised him too religious, which, which was fantastic because I had time to think. And then we went through all the rules about me staying in the house, and then uh, finally which none of them would work. So I was going to leave the next day. And uh, so finally, I said, Mom, can I just 
have one shot telling you why I believe what I believe. And she said, you have one shot, but here are the rules. No New Testament. You can't mention Jesus. And (laughs) she already knew that part. And no crosses. I don't know what she thought I was going to do with the crosses. Okay. (laughs) So we sat down and uh, I I took out my heavy gun. So I, I took out Isaiah chapter 53. And I began reading it to my mom, who fell asleep at verse 8. And I shook her, and I said, Mom, how could you fall asleep? She said, she said, I told you not to mention Jesus, not to mention Christianity, and not to read the New Testament. I said, Mom, that's not the New Testament. I said, that's our Bible. Isaiah is one of us. She said, I don't care. And she said, you had your chance, that's it. And then years went by, and... And just to give you an idea of what kind of home uh, she was from and I was sort of raised in, when my grandparents found out I was a believer, they never talked to me again. My grandparents, I, they loved me. I loved them. And so it was, it was very, very, very difficult. And my mom felt that as a loyal Jewish person, not because of what she knew about Jesus, but because of the quote-unquote persecution of the Jewish people by quote-unquote Christians, you know, over the years. She just felt that as as a loyal Jew, she could not consider Jesus, and uh, certainly she didn't want to encourage me. And so we began praying and praying and praying. Well, after uh, a short time, my mom was told that she had colon cancer. And... I had already lost hope, being honest, of my mom ever coming to faith. No matter what I did, she wouldn't give me a shot. I mean, I I was a good, tricky missionary. I knew knew what to do. You know, I put tracts in the bathroom, you know, and, and, you know, you send, make sure she gets messianic books without a return address and things. I did. I did everything. But I had lost hope, and, and, and really I'd lost my burden because she beat the burden out of me. And I needed encouragement. And where else do you find encouragement but in here? So take out your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans. We're going to be looking a little bit at Romans 9, a little bit at 10, a little bit at 11. But before we do this, I want to tell you something that took me about a year to discover and uh, maybe you know this already. Uh, well, let me, let me take a test. How many of you know Jesus is Jewish? Raise your hand. Okay, good. All right, that's good. But what I found out, which was startling, was that St. Paul was Jewish too. Doesn't sound like a Jewish name, does it? And so when you read the book of Romans, you have to read it understanding that the man who wrote it was a rabbi. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was Shaul. And so you have to look at Romans through Jewish eyes and not as if Paul was some kind of uh, Catholic priest that converted to Protestantism in the early part of the Reformation, okay? So in Romans 9, Paul talks about this burden that so many of us get beaten out of us, whether we were on short-term mission trips and fell in love with a a, a Muslim person or a, a Hindu or a Taoist or a Jewish person or some rank-and-file 
ex-Christian of one, one shape or another. And, you know, when they stop listening to you, you put up defenses because nobody in their right mind wants to be continually rejected. And so I didn't want my mom to keep rejecting me, so I would make excuses to my friends. You know, how can we pray for your mom? I said, pray, pray all you want, but, you know, she, she doesn't let me in, and she doesn't want to listen. And the fact of the matter is I had the burden beaten out of me, and it happens. But Paul had an incredible burden, even from those that were literally, physically trying to beat it out of him. So in Romans chapter 9, Paul says, verse 1, I'm telling the truth in Christ, in Messiah. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. And here's the heart of missions from the Jewish rabbi. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing, unrelenting, never-ending, always all-encompassing grief in my heart. In other words, you can imagine Paul going out and preaching among the Gentiles and having great fruit for his ministry, coming back to his tent at night, maybe lighting a candle and laying down and reading his Hebrew scriptures for a little bit, and then just musing with the Lord and saying, thank you for the great fruit among the Gentiles, but what about my own people? What about the people that you promised the very Messiah that I preach? Why is it that my own people do not believe in their own Messiah? I have great sorrow, pain. It hurts and unceasing grief. In fact, look at the next passage. Paul says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed. The the Greek word anathema. I wish that I could be accursed, separated from Christ, the Messiah, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. In other words, Paul really puts it to us, doesn't he? He says, if I could step into hell so that a Jewish person could take my place in heaven, then I would do it. So he has grief in his heart constantly. He has sorrow and pain in his heart. He imagines that if he could step into hell so that someone could step into heaven, he would do it. And Paul had a burden, even though people were, not, were rejecting him. And God began speaking to me about having this kind of burden. Do you have this kind of burden? I'm asking. <laughs> it's not rhetorical. Do you have that kind of burden? Now, I have to inform you that Jewish people are really, really good at guilt. I have a, a master's degree. <laughs> and I learned it from my mom. And, and so... Uh, you don't have to feel guilty about wanting to go to hell so that somebody can go to heaven. The good news is somebody's done it already. You don't have to do it. One man for all time, for all people, stepped in and endured hell so that all of us could enjoy heaven. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. But this is the way Paul was articulating his burden. And so if someone has tried to knock the burden out of you, Grab hold of God and ask God to break your heart. So we found out my mom had cancer. I had given up hope, and I said, God, break my heart. Help me to believe that something can happen here. And slowly but surely, God began touching my heart and my life. And it's really important that this happens. 
Because you can't go anywhere with your witness unless you have a broken heart. So you have to ask God to do that. Is there somebody who's holding out on you? Someone you love deeply? Someone that you've become sort of more resilient towards and, and, and you're not going to allow their rejection to get to you? Forget it. Ask God today to break your heart. And when your heart is broken, then you pray. So look at chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, Paul writes, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, for the Jewish people, is their salvation. And so when God breaks your heart, you can't help but pray. Now, I can't, I wish I could explain to you the mystery between our praying for somebody and that person then believing in Jesus or not believing in Jesus. I, I don't know what the connection is. It's, it's a mystery. Prayer is a mystery to me. But I know that God told me to pray. And so I have to trust God and pray. But you can't pray unless you have a broken heart. On the other hand, one of the things that really helped me is I began praying for my mom and then God began breaking my heart. I think people were praying for me that I would pray. (laughs) Sometimes you have to pray for others to pray. Because when you begin praying, it transforms you because you start looking at the situation, at the person from God's vantage point rather than your own human vantage point. And when you see your beloved long-term holdouts from his vantage point, then you know that nothing's impossible. You know that God can reach and touch any human being. And so when you begin seeing it from God's perspective, then you can pray with sincerity and fervor. And so we began praying for my mother, and we sent out the prayer list, and even at Grace you were praying. Everybody was praying for my mother. So much so that I even began being encouraged, believing that God could do something with my mom. And so, chapter 11, verse 5. Not only does God want us to have a broken heart, not only does God want us to pray, but God wants us to have hope. Hope is like gold, just like gold. I remember one little incident with my mom. Uh, She knew that I preached in churches on Sunday, but tried to ignore it. And it's amazing how many mothers of Jewish believers call their kids at like 10.30 Sunday morning. And so I, I had two two meetings that I was speaking to a morning at night in New Jersey, and I was visiting with my mom, and uh, she said, uh, so uh, what are you going to do tonight? I looked at her, she says, that's okay. I don't need to know. She said, can I ask you a question? Why did you give up being Jewish in order to become a Christian? I almost fell off my chair. It came out of the blue. I said, I didn't. She said, Yeah, that's what I thought. I said, any more questions? She said, no. (laughs) That was it. But when you you don't have hope, you, you get stunned by these questions or opportunities. You need hope. Paul writes about this hope in Romans chapter 11. He knows that he should have hope because he was Jewish and he believed in Jesus. Has God rejected his people? No, may it never be. I'm Jewish. I'm an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people. And then Paul, like a good rabbi, tells the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, which, which I call the, 
Old Testament version of the gunfight at the OK Corral. It's a very simple story. And uh, so Elijah gets the prophets of Baal up on the mountain of Mount, Car- on Mount Carmel, and he says, okay, you, dig, you make an altar here, I'll make an altar here, and uh, whoever is, has uh, the real God on their side, that person will take up that sacrifice, and then we'll all follow that God. Elijah says, okay, that's fine, you guys go first. And so they dig an altar, and they scream out all day, and nothing happens because idols can't make fire come from heaven. And then Elijah, who I think may have been born in Brooklyn, gets up, (laughs) digs an altar, digs a ditch, pours water in the altar. At the hour of prayer, cries out to God, from heaven comes fire, consumes the sacrifice, sacrifice and leaves a crater on top of Mount Carmel. He kills the Baal worshippers, runs very quickly, if you read the text, to the Sinai Desert, hides out in a cave. He's depressed and despondent, and God comes to him in in a, a beautiful, touching, wonderful moment. And he says to him, if you look, have I kept my, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Isaiah was feeling alone, and sometimes you feel alone, and we feel very alone when we're trying to win our long-term holdouts to the Messiah. And Paul, being the good rabbi who knew how to take an Old Testament text and apply it to a situation, says, in the same way there's come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Good news. Elijah, you're not alone. And I want you to know that it took time, but I began believing that even my mother could be part of that remnant. And I believe that even one of your loved ones, especially one of your Jewish friends, can be part of that remnant. All we know is that we should have a broken heart, we should pray, and we should proclaim, but we can never lose hope. And so I was walking uh, into my sister's house to visit my mother, and I met Dominique, who was her home health care attendant. My sisters had just said all these wonderful things about Dominique. They even used the word servant, which is not a word my sisters usually use. And so I met Dominique as we were walking in the house. And you know how sometimes Christians kind of have that glow, you know what I mean? You know? I've always wanted that glow. That's why I like the lights, you know? <laughs> and I looked at Dominique and I said, Dominique, are you a, she says, oh, of course I am. I said, really? She says, absolutely. I'm a born-again, on-fire Haitian Baptist. (laughs) And then she said, and this is not my job. This is my ministry. I love Jewish people, and I love your mother. I said, do you witness to my mother? She said, all the time, but in my own way, honey. (laughs) And she says, but I always pray for her. And I said, you know, Dominique, we are, she said, oh, I, I, I know you are. I figured I was glowing. She said, no, I saw the stuff you left in your mother's bed <laughs> and in her bathroom. <laughs> My mom began getting close, and we went to the hospital just a couple of days uh, before, and, of course, we were in and out of there all the time, and just some good advice on sharing the gospel with Jewish people in hospitals, always bring two people. One person to divert the family and the other person to talk. So I was the diverter, which is important because I didn't get to hear what happened. I have to take it all by faith. And uh, my, my wife, Sahava, and Dominique 
talked to my mother and my, mo- my, uh, my wife Sahava said, Mom, do you believe in God? And my mother smiled and squeezed her hand and said, yes. And then, then my wife looked at my mother and said, and mom, do you believe in Jesus? And my mom looked at her, smiled, squeezed her hand, and said, yes. Brothers and sisters, we have a God who's worthy of your hope because he never gives up, even sometimes when we do, because we're so frail. This morning, you have loved ones that you dearly care about. They might be Jewish, they might be Gentile, they might be in College Station, they might be somewhere in the globe. Whatever you do, don't lose hope. No one's beyond the power of his outstretched arm. Ask God to break your heart. Ask God to help you pray. And ask God to give you hope. Not in yourself, not in them, but in him. We're going to pray. And as we pray, I'm going to ask you to pray for some of those folks in your lives that God's been speaking to you about. Then I'm going to take just a couple more minutes of your precious time. And then I'll turn it back. So let's pray. And I'm just going to pause for a moment of quiet. Whoever these folks are in your life, ask God if you need to now to, to break your heart and give you a burden. Would you pray for them? Pray for yourself that God would give you the strength to keep praying. And then ask God for the gift of hope so that you can believe him and believe that you can be used in the lives of these precious people. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for reaching out to those we love. Lord, we know you love them even more than us. And we pray, Lord, that you would touch them and draw them as only you can to your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, for uh, many, many years, I've been coming to uh, Grace Bible Church and asking you to participate with me in what we call the tradition of the tearing of the brochures. (laughs) So would you unfurl your brochure, if you have it? Do you have it? If you do? Raise your hand. If you don't, raise your hand. Don't take it out then. Okay, but here's what you're going to do if you find one. Fold it along the perforation like this. Then rip it. Okay? Harder, harder, harder. Okay. Okay, unless you're creative, you should just have two little, two pieces and... I want you to fill out your name and address on this one, then drop it at the book table or leave it in your seat. We'll collect them from you. Every month, the Chosen People staff, about 200 of us in 15 countries, we're all coming to your home for dinner, at least once a month. And uh, we're happy to eat barbecue, but just let us know when it's not beef. So just 
fill this out, and uh, we want to keep in touch with you because we want you to, con- to keep praying. Uh, a new generation praying for a new generation of, of Chosen People Ministries, and, and uh, God's blessed us with, in so many ways, but part of the blessings by having you pray for us. So please fill that out. There's a book table in the back. I can recommend lots of books, but let me, represent, let me tell you about two very, very important books. This one's How to Introduce Your Jewish Friends to the Messiah. This is a missions conference. And more than anything in the world, I want to see the Jewish people in College Station hear the gospel. And so this will help you. So that'll be in the back. And then if you find people interested, then you can give them this. <laughs> and this is Isaiah 53 Explained. It is a, uh, uh, an evangelistic book on Isaiah 53 that I wrote. And I hope that you'll be able to give this, to read it, and then give it to Jewish people who need to know the Lord. By the way, it works with Gentiles too. So, so feel free to do that. Why don't we pray together? Father, thank you again for your love and grace. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done in our midst, and I pray that you'll stir our hearts for you and for our loved ones and our friends. Help us to be your instruments of grace that we might reach out in the name of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, in your power, and be used of you to touch their lives for the gospel. We pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.